beheaded. So it would be in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. And again, of course, I forgot the page numbers. So I think in the White Bible, it's like page 9. I think page 10. There you go. And then page 686 in the blue. See? You guys are good because I don't know how I regularly forget that all the time. But then I don't mind it too much because it's like interactive. So I'm not really hating it. Okay. So let me ask you this question. Um, what is, and I'll give you a chance to think about it, and it's just rhetorical basically, but just to get you to think. So what is the best thing in life that you receive for free? What's the best thing that you could think of that you got for free? What might it be? And so you think of for free, and I don't know, maybe it was like a piece of clothing, or uh, maybe it was some sort of um, yard equipment, or maybe... Uh, it was something for the house. Maybe it was a picture. Maybe it was advice. I don't know. What was like the best thing that you got for free? Um, and and you know the answer to that certainly depends on the person. If you ask me, I, I would uh, tell you that um, the best thing that I got for free was probably a lawnmower. We had like no money, and the one that we had was pretty crappy and it was down and out and I was like oh man I have like a jungle to mow and I was like oh geez you know I'm praying about it. I'm like oh man Lord we don't have any extra money <sighs> just provide one more some way somehow and sure enough at that same time uh, my grandfather got a new lawnmower and he called me up he said hey I got this lawnmower you probably don't want it you know but and I was like yeah I would definitely take it so that was that was a pretty good gift um, you know, totally for free. And if anybody knows my grandfather, he's like meticulous and he just keeps things really nice, you know. And he still had the owner's manual, parts of the owner's manual highlighted. You know, it's like he's that kind of guy. So you know you're getting something great. So I don't care if it's 10 years used. Uh, it wasn't, but even if it was, it would have been great. So, but then if you ask Julie, she is... Uh, she loves getting stuff for free. She is Miss Bargain Hunter. And I had no idea going into this whole marriage thing that she was like this. And uh, I kind of like it though. It's kind of nice. She feels like she gets over on people or a store or whatever. And so I asked you about the tax sale thing. Uh, you know, because tax sales, you know, you go there and the idea is, you know, you get something cheap that might be, you know, worth a lot or is exactly what you're looking for and you don't have to pay anywhere close to, you know, store prices. So Julie and her mom went tax selling this past week and uh, they got this slide, you know, for like a dollar, you know. We could throw it in the basement. Jaron can play on it. We have a little ball pit. Uh, that we got for free on the side of the road that Jaron loves and that he goes in and so we got a slide to go with it. Um, so I don't know, you know, what the best thing in life you got for free was. Um, Julia also likes to get things, I say with quotes, for free on the internet. She's really big on the internet. She, she's like a blogger and she has tons of followers and she's all over cyberspace. And so I think one of the best things she got, quotes, free, and I say quotes with free because she had to put in some time to get it. So I like, it's like free, she had to pay money, but she did put in her time and, and it was a giveaway, so it, it's still pretty close to free, I guess, but not totally free. But she won a Kindle Fire. That was pretty cool. 
She won it around, I think, last Christmas. She won a Kindle Fire. She goes in these giveaways online, you know, won it. I was like, you want a Kindle Fire? She's like, yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe it. And she was trying to win, and she was upset. You know what she was trying to win? She was trying to win some diaper stuff. That's what she was trying to win. She's very big into cloth diapers, and she loves them, and uh, that's kind of like what her blog is all about, and it saves us a lot of money, so I won't argue with her. Um, but she's just good at just winning stuff. Um, a lot of people would say, um, you know, salvation is free. You know, us getting into heaven is really free. That gift is free. And I would say, kind of. Kind of. I wouldn't say totally, I'd say kind of. Here's what Martin Luther said. He said, a religion, I think we got it up here, he said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. You know, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, you know, salvation totally free? Kind of, we'll look at it. Costs nothing and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Or, Another guy, it's not on the slide, I'll read it to you. Daniel Berrigan says, If you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. That one will make you think, right? Because he was on the cross, right? It's made of wood. So if you want to follow Jesus, you better look good on wood. I have a screenshot up here for you um, online. This website called persecution.org. And hopefully the, the shot will come up. But basically this website is dedicated to following Christians and churches throughout the globe. So there's roughly, uh, it's tough to get a number, but basically a third or so of like born-again, non-denominational Christians, you know, the term is very broadly defined, but as far as Christians go, about a third of them, a little bit less, live here in the West or in America. Really two-thirds, the majority, 70, 75%, is in the whole rest of the world. So whatever we live in every day and in our society, and I just read a stat this week, you know, if you make, you know, 40 grand a year, you're in the top, you know, percent nations, you know, world wealth. I mean, it's crazy. So however we function and live, it's not really an accurate snapshot of how most people in the world really live. And so how do most of our brothers and sisters in Christ, how do they live, what's going on? And so a website like this is very helpful, uh, persecution.org, because it goes through uh, the, entire, you know, the entire globe as far as churches, Christians being persecuted and what's going on, just because of their faith. And so let me read you a couple. Uh, I printed off here just a couple of the titles of some things that are on the website here. Uh, it says Christian, and they have all these different articles. So here are some titles of the articles. Christian missionaries on North Korea slash China border face deportation, difficult conditions. And it's a whole article about that. Uh, in China, there's this guy Cesar demanding what is God's. Uh, basically where they're dictating, you know, what is God's and what isn't. Uh, you go through uh, attacks increase on as Hindus target Christians in India. It says uh, Indonesian terrorists regrouping for new assault. Christian house church leader released after 560 days in Iranian prison. The treatment for Coptic Christians in Egypt poses a cause for concern. A call to pray for Nigeria's threatened Christians. 
unrest in Nigeria as army launches offensive in Plateau State. Provincial Chinese authorities target house church, confiscate Bibles. Church in India grows despite persecution. You have all these titles. Like, this is the way most of our Christians, brothers and sisters, are living. Just under this constant persecution and somebody, you know, at them. It's costing them something. Like, in real time. Real time. I think that is a very foreign idea and concept for us in the West here. Because most times, just having a faith in God, a faith in Christ and believing the Bible, for most of us, doesn't really cost us a whole heck of a lot. In fact, we've kind of mixed things up, I think. Somewhere along the way, I think that we fuse together me and Christ. Meaning, my goals, my ambitions, what I would like to do, sprinkled in with some church, maybe giving a little bit of money, saying some prayers, reading my Bible from time to time, and we're pretty much good. It kind of seems, my experience has shown that, it kind of seems that's what it's like in a lot of ways. Can you imagine with some of those people, you know, are they sprinkling in a little bit here and there of Jesus and that's kind of like how they're going through their lives? Especially when they know they will go to jail for it for just no good reason at all. Or they will have family members possibly killed or threatened. And if you're curious about any of the stories, you just go on the website and there's a lot of websites similar to that. So for them, it's actually, it's costing a lot. And I think that idea of Christ costing us something is maybe a little bit foreign. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk also about the difference between a believer and a disciple. And I guess maybe if you have the same definitions for both, it's just semantics, but we'll just try and clarify a little bit differently. A believer and a disciple. Is there a difference? What really is it? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does Jesus intend for us to expect? And why is salvation kind of free? Kind of free, right? Not totally, I don't think, so why is it kind of free? So the main thing we focus on today is the cost for following Christ. There is a cost there, and that's the title of the message. Uh, the cost for following Christ, or is it worth the cost? And so we're going to look at the passage. So Matthew chapter 8, you've had time uh, to get there. And so we pick up in verse 18. It says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. You have this huge crowd now forming around him. Because we just finished last week that he just healed a leper in a pretty radical way. Then he heals a guy who just says, Hey, listen, I have somebody sick in my house. If you, just, you don't even have to come. Just say the word and they will be healed. And then it happened. And then he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then that whole night. He's just healing and doing miracles there. And so you can imagine, it's going to draw a crowd. And at this point, it's a pretty large crowd. Everybody's there. So it says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. It says, When a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So let's see what is going on here. So we have the crowds, like we said in verse 18, that are all there. And it says that he wants to cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, you got to figure with the crowds here, he knows that he's here to do a work and that God is going to use him. And he was just there with all the crowds, healing them, doing miraculous signs. So why would he be trying to get away? Why would he be trying to get away from the crowds? Because that's like where all his opportunities have been coming from. That's where he's been doing the miracles, he's been doing the miracles. Well, if you get a chance, later on this week, you can look in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, and it tells you why he had to get away. And to paraphrase, he's basically getting away because he knows that if these mobs, if these crowds get a hold of him, they want to try and make him king right there. And he's like, no, no, that's not really why I'm here. I'm not really here to like be a king and take over Rome and like give you guys like you know your own country and own place. So he's trying to avoid that. His time basically is not really yet coming. And so that's why he's trying to get away. It's kind of his pattern. He's been showing up to a spot, having God work through him, some signs, some wonders, some miracles, setting the record straight and explaining the law a little bit better, and then he kind of moves on before too much of a mass of people really gathers. So he's moving on. And what happens is, says in verse 19, Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And depending on your version, it says a scribe, that's usually what a teacher of the law is, which is a scribe. This is a big deal here. A teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. You know, this is election time, and it's all about, a lot of times for the candidates, getting big endorsements, right? So we're going to kind of see who endorses, you know, Romney, who endorses Obama, and then usually when that happens, you know, you get, you know, whoever liked, you know, that person that's endorsing, you know, they'll get some more followers. This is pretty interesting that a scribe, a teacher of the law, who Jesus was not popular with, he sees all these things develop, and he's really going against his own, and he's saying, you know what? I'm going to follow you wherever you're going to go. I'm on board. You must be the real deal. I am following you. Completely eager and ready to go and follow Jesus. And I don't know, maybe in your own life, you could think about people that you know uh, that get really eager and excited about things. This is like that guy. He's eager. He's excited. He's seen God work. And he must be thinking, oh my gosh, this is really the true Messiah. Look what he's doing. He has to be from God. And it just, you know, he's just so eager, so excited. And sometimes you know these people, they're just like bubbling. And so he just blurts out, I'm going to follow you wherever you're going. He's just that excited. He just can't keep it in. And so Jesus, you know, his response, I don't know, a lot of people might think his response might be, okay, good. Get in line. Let's go. Come on. Hop on. Let's go do it. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. He responds back. Verse 20 says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he's saying, hey, listen, I'm glad for your eagerness. I think it's even a good thing, but I want you to count the cost of what you're actually saying here. 
Like right now, at this point in time, it's kind of easy to go along with me. I got the crowds with me. There's a lot of great stuff going on. Things are not very difficult right now. And this seems like a pretty fun team to be a part of. You know, and, and people who are fans can relate to this. You know, whenever your team is doing well, you're like, yeah, 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 wearing the jersey, talking about it all the time, you know, and then when your team is down, oh, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't know much about them, you know, anymore. It's amazing how many Patriots fans there are now when there weren't like 20 years ago. It's amazing. But something similar. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you better count the cost. Honestly, I don't even know where I'm going to spend tomorrow night. I have no money with me. I got nothing to eat. So are you sure that you're saying, this is the way I'm doing my life, so are you sure you're saying is what you want to do? He's not saying it's a bad thing for him to be eager and want to follow him. He's just saying, hey, listen, here's what it really is going to take. Jesus encouraging, you know, some strong reasoning and analytical capabilities. So it says in, in verse 21... We kind of have the opposite. It says another disciple, we'll see if he really was a disciple, another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So is Jesus being uncompassionate? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. If you just took it like that, you know, you just read and be like, oh, that's kind of rude. Like, why would he say that? That seems kind of strange that he would respond in that way where the guy says, hey, let me go bury my dad. And he's like, you know what? Let the dead bury their dead. You want to follow me? Let's go. That just seems kind of strange. So is he being uncompassionate is really the question. Well, before we answer it, let's go. In your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. So we're going to the left. We're going backwards. So you can't get there with the white Bibles. You could only do it with the blue ones because the white Bibles just have the New Testament. Um, so the blue ones, page 255. Okay, so we'll go to 1 Kings 19. And that's page 255 in the blue Bible. So 1 Kings 19, 19. There's these two famous guys in the Bible called Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Elijah with a J is kind of like the first guy. And Elisha, S-H, and no J. We'll say J and no J. So Elijah with the J is the first guy. Elisha, no J, is kind of the second guy. So in verse 19 it says, So Elijah with the J. Everybody say with the J. Yeah, Elijah with the J. Went from there and found Elisha, say no J. Found Elisha Nojay, son of that guy. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Says Elijah with the J. There you go. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha Nojay then left his oxen and ran after Elisha with the J. So it says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. This sounds familiar, right? Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. And Elijah with the J, he goes, go back? What have I done to you? So he's thinking, like, you know, he's not going to go back and not show up. So, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. 
And then he set out to follow Elijah with the J and became his attendant. So it's a pretty similar case where he kind of used the same response. He's like, hey, listen, let me just you know, go take care of my family. Let me just go back and take care of things. And uh, Elijah with the J is kind of like, eh, okay. It's kind of like, you know, when people are like, well, I'm going to take a semester off from school, you know, and then I'll be back later. And then, like, you know, they never really come back. You know, so it's kind of like, okay, it sounds kind of good, but I hope, like, it happens in the end of coming back. Um, but in his case, he goes back. He says goodbye to everybody, kind of takes care of everyone. Uh, he slaughters the stuff that was his livelihood. The yoke of oxen, all of them slaughtered them. Fed the people in town. Took all of his equipment. He had his garage full of stuff. His living, everything he had, burned it and got rid of it. And said, okay, I'm heading out this way. So not only did this guy go back, he went back. Really made a stand and said, okay, I'm going this way. And then just took off in the right direction. He was serious about it. Totally focused on the call that had happened to him. Uh, and the call was that Elijah with the J, right, he came with a robe and he threw it on this guy, Elisha no J. And basically meaning, hey, listen, you're going to take over now. I was like the head prophet for the entire nation. And he's like, okay. And he burned all the stuff and he went after it. Now the guy Jesus is talking to, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And you see it in quotes there because that's what he said. And that's more like, I'll get to it. Or it's more like, you know what, let me go home. Let me kind of be with my household. And then after he dies, I'll come with you and kind of follow you. It's almost a procrastination statement. Like, let me go home. Let me take care of things. Let me wait until he passes. So if you read it in the original language, uh, which would be in Greek here, that's really like what the intent is. And Jesus kind of knows this. And he's like, listen, if you go home and you're hanging out you know, with your dad and after he passes, you're still going to think about it some more. And so this guy's not the eager guy. He's the tall contrast. He's the captain procrastinator. And I can probably relate a lot to that guy. It's the procrastinate. Yeah, it sounds good. And wow, look at all this cool stuff happening. Eh, I'll get around to it. Maybe, maybe I'll jump in with both feet. I'm not quite sure when. Maybe I'll get there. And the response for that guy was different than what Jesus responded to the other guy. The response to that guy, Jesus said, you know what? Follow me. He's encouraging him right now you know, to take that stand. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And listen, right now is the time for you. You need to do it. You're just procrastinating because who knows why. Maybe he's scared. Uh, maybe he's trying to, I don't know, justify things in his head. Who knows? We don't know why. But Jesus feels in that case with that guy, he needs to come follow. So how does that get us to the cost for following Christ? And what does it have to do with me? And Am I, are we guilty at all of like mixing our goals, our futures, our ambitions and sprinkling in a little bit of Jesus or is Jesus at the center and then everything else revolves around that? Because some of us might not be able to answer that question and be like, yeah, it's, I don't know, I'm not quite sure which one it is. Maybe it's kind of a mix. Maybe Jesus is at the center but I run around sprinkling things, you know, I, I don't know how it works. Who knows? So, let's talk about a couple of things. One is that the cost of following Christ, because that's what we're talking about, 
the basis of it, the cornerstone of the cost of being a disciple, true disciple, where they say, Noah, I'm going to go, I want to follow you, is sacrifice. That's the first part. And we're calling it sacrifice of submission. That's really the first one. Here's how you know right away if you don't have just a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in your life. Your sacrifice of submission either has happened or it hasn't. Here's what I mean by sacrifice of submission. Um, it cost Christ Himself everything, cost Him everything for us to be able to make it into heaven. Cost Him everything. And in fact, in the garden, the night before He's going to be crucified, uh, He's like, God, I don't even really want to do this. I, I know what's in store for me. I know the pain that awaits me. And, you know, I don't want you. And that's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's just feeling like that so much. He's just praying. And the Bible says that it's like drops of blood that started... Have you ever prayed that or done anything that hard where the sweat was actually drops of blood? I don't think most of us have. But that's the kind of agony and anguish that he had. It cost him a lot. So salvation, not totally free. It cost somebody a lot. It cost somebody a real lot. And Jesus knows all too much about that. And so if we expect to like have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of church and a little bit of that kind of sprinkled and do a few prayers and you know kind of show up and kind of do that stuff, that's not really exactly the same. It's actually a lot different. And so those people from persecution.org and those Christians and those churches know a heck of a lot more as far as what cost is really all about. Because at the cornerstone, it is sacrifice. And it says, go ahead and go back. Right? Because it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His... And most people know this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so it cost God, it cost Christ, really, everything. So for us to think that, you know, it'll cost us a little bit or it might be a little bit uncomfortable... It's a little bit misleading. It's actually going to cost us our whole lives. Now, we're not going to have to go to a cross. We won't have to get whipped. We're not going to get a crown of thorns. We won't have to go through that, um, which in my mind, that seems like it would kind of make sense. Like, you know, we should have to pay like the same thing, you know, and do it. Um, but even if we did do that, it wouldn't work. Because it needed to be somebody who lived perfect. That's the only way it would work. If somebody lived perfect... And then they died for everybody else, then it could work. Since none of, us, none of us are perfect, it wouldn't even work that way. So salvation, kind of free, it's actually going to cost us our entire lives. We're going to like now live our lives totally surrendered. So it's a gift where we don't have to go to a cross and endure the kind of pain and suffering He did, but in response of thanks, we're going to offer our lives back to Him. So it does have a cost. I mean, it's kind of free. But not really. Not exactly. We're going to change everything now about us. And actually, He's going to do all the changing. So it's going to cost uh, a couple of things. And I think on the next slide here. The big sacrifice is the sacrifice of our lives. That's the big part. So we had a sacrifice of submission right away. 
that God really is who He is and we're going to submit to Him and say, God, I want You to be Lord of my life. That's like the first step in a Christian's life. God, I want You to be Lord of my life. I think what You did in the Bible is true and I'm asking for You to lead me in the right way. I mean, that's how you just become a Christian right then and there. You just confess who you are. You confess who He is. And then you try and live your life after it. That's it. And so now it comes down to the day-to-day -day stuff. And that's what we're talking about with the sacrifice of my life. Because in Luke uh, 9.23, which I think is up here, here's what we talk about with the day-to-day -day living. So Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple, right? Here's that word. Disciple, right? Whoever wants to be a true follower after me must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So if we're saying that we're going to be true disciples and follow after Christ, you know, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow me. And I think that's where it gets foggy. Because then it's like, okay, so what does it really look like for a Christian disciple look like just day-to-day -day living. You know, I mean, we get up, you know, somebody get up in the middle of the night, the baby's crying, you know, like, how does the disciple handle that? You know, and then there's breakfast time, and then they're going off to work, and then we're saving, and we got jobs, and we got friends, and, you know, how does that work? You know, how, how do we really deny ourselves and take up our crosses? Because we don't have to go to the cross. That penalty has already been paid. So how do we take up our crosses daily, you know, and follow Him? Well, I put down, I believe, five of them on the next slide. Here's what I think. Now, I know that's a lot of info up there, but we'll go slow right through them. Some of our daily, I put in quote, crosses. These are things that for us as Christians, when we become disciples, these are the things that are going to change. Believe it or not. So here we go. First one. If we're going to be really a disciple of Christ, one cross we're definitely going to have to surrender and give over to God is our physical bodies. It happens. And so this, and I put verses there too, which you can look up later this week. I don't know if people ever have a hard time reading in the Bible during the week, but if you do, I always try and give you verses to kind of check out during the week. So 1 Corinthians 6.13, it basically says, and you, again, you can read it later this week, the body was made and intended for, the physical body was made and intended for worship to God. And, he, and the next sentence it says, it was not made for sexual impurity or sexual immorality. That's what it says. So if we're saying we're a disciple and we're going to follow Christ, right, because we're trying to count the cost here, evaluate what's going on. Our physical bodies are actually meant to worship Him. And so I know you know, for myself, that was a difficult one. Uh, you know, getting married. You know, you're trying to, you know, in the meantime, be as pure as you possibly can and uh, try and do things the right way. And then when you are married, you know, I don't have a right, you know, to be on the computer, you know, looking at porn. I don't have that right. i got to surrender that. Even when, like, you know, more than, you know, half of my friends, you know, that aren't saved, and they're like, oh, you know, she was just being so difficult, and I don't want to deal with it, you know, and then, you know, I'm just going, you know, online and clicking away, and I, I can't do that. i got, I got to be a disciple, right? i got to, that's part of my daily cross. Or at the same time, you know, Julie does not now have a right to, like, oh, we got into a big fight, you know, and then head to the bar and go flirting with some guy. Like, she doesn't have that right. Or this, you know, 
at home, he is not the type of man that I expected. He's not, you know, what he said he was going to be. And so, you know, from here on out, you know, I'm going to kind of look around at other places. If she's really truly a disciple, that's part of her daily cross is to just say, no, I can't do that. Right? So our physical bodies are intended to be used to worship and glorify God. And it's really tough to do that if our physical bodies, you know, are also like not in good shape. So if we try and take care of them the best that we can, we could be as healthy as possible and do whatever kind of work God might lay before us. Who knows what it might be? What about emotional? Another daily cross. If we're truly a disciple, you know, how do you like do the emotional stuff? Well, 2 Corinthians 10.5 talking about taking thoughts captive to God. So our thoughts, our attitudes, our emotions because sometimes we could just be feeling like discouraged, frustrated, um, overwhelmed, not worth very much. Um, who knows? All those attitudes and emotions, God's in His Word. He says, listen, greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world. You know, we're more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from His love. You know, we are perfect the way that He made us. Like, if we know those verses and those things, we don't have to live in the emotions that maybe are coming from somewhere else. So that's another part of our daily cross that we can pick up and say, listen, am I going to let these emotions run my head and everything that's going on and continue into action, or am I just going to stop them and just, you know, sometimes it just comes down to, I I've done it myself. God, i got these thoughts coming to my head right now. I don't want them. Take them. And then like three seconds later, it might happen again. So I'm like, Lord, I just said, I don't want these thoughts in my head, and so I'm just trying to be obedient, and the Bible doesn't really say step by step what to do, so I'm just saying, please be God of my emotions. Because I want to be faithful and true to what your word says. I want to follow you know, what you're saying. I don't want my emotions to run the show. But they are important. And they are showing me and somehow giving me a clue about something, but I can't be dominated by them. So some daily crosses, right? Our physical bodies themselves, our emotions, our minds. In Luke 10, 27, again, you can look it up later this week, but basically it says, worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, body. Right? How can we do that? Well, I could choose to fill my mind with, I don't know, all kinds of stuff that's out there now. You know, I can fill my mind with, you know, Twitter and Facebook all day, and I could fill it with all kinds of crap articles, you know, and weird books and novels and garbage that's on TV and who knows what kind of movies. And you know, on a side note, I hope we keep in prayer, like in Colorado at the movies there. You know, that is just extremely sad. And so, you know. As a side note, if you get a chance, somebody close to you, some good friends, you know, just give them an extra hug and tell them that you love them because going to a movie, going to the store, who knows when it might be the last trip, you know? But as far as mental goes, am I worshiping God as a disciple really with my mind, you know? Do I want to fill my mind actually with what's in here? Do I want to? And am I going to do it is really the question. 
you know, do I want to? Is that really what it's filled up? Or is it filled up with just a lot of just other stuff? Or does this play a dominant role? Because for believers, for disciples, for disciples, really this takes a dominant role. Socially, that's kind of a big one. And that's kind of a scary one, I think, too. When you become a disciple, God kind of weeds out some friends. Things just kind of change. It's like you just don't have things in common with some other people that you might used to before. Um, you know, if you grew up in, in a party scene and hanging out and drinking and, and just being around people, you know, when you don't do that stuff, they just kind of fall by the wayside. Or if they're a good friend, maybe they'll still be around and they'll ask kind of, you know, why you're different. But who knows? But God just kind of weeds out people in your life because now you're heading in a certain direction. The Bible calls it the light. You're trying to head towards the light. And they're just kind of happy hanging out in the darkness. And so you don't want to be like, you know, a judgmental, kind of super critical friend. And you want to be supportive to them too because they don't really understand. And so it's kind of difficult. But nonetheless, you probably won't be as close with them anymore. So if we still got the same friends you know, that we had and doing the same exact things, that's just like sprinkling some Jesus and saying, oh, you know, I show up to church, but like, it doesn't change. It just doesn't change. Financial. Right? Financial. That's another part for sure. And a couple of references there. You know, um, finances is tough. God wants us to know that He is our number one provider. And that whatever we get, we have to be generous, good stewards of them. Before we started the church, uh, Julie and I, we were going to another church in Woodbridge, and we were tithing there, you know, trying to give, uh, you know, our 10% there, and we were making a lot of money. We are giving our 10%, <coughs> but we also knew uh, at some point we'd be planting a church, and we met with, you know, other pastors and people, and told them about the process, and then, you know, they prayed with us, and they kind of gave us guidelines and different things like that. Um, but, you know, the very beginnings, you know, of the church was us, you know, tithing, and then separate, putting aside extra money to save for a future church plant that we didn't know when was going to happen, who was going to be there, or what it might even look like. And let me tell you what, that was a financial hit for us. Because at the time, we were living in an in-law's place, and it was super tight in there, and, you know, I certainly wanted to move out into our own place and, like, have our own just anything without somebody always around. And that was, like, that was a really, really tough one, for sure. Um, even now, super difficult. I mean, we don't take any money or get paid at all with anything that we do. And uh, I could certainly pick up some extra work and make, like, some good money and just... We could just feel a little more secure, you know, where it's like, you know, maybe a trip to Subway or Dunkin' Donuts, like, we wouldn't have to analyze it so much, you know, and break it down. But that's where we're at. And that's okay, because I feel like that's where God has us to be. But if we're going to pick up our daily crosses, we have to just understand that, hey, God is leading us down a particular path. We want to do it. And if God has our finances, you know, suffer at the sake of it, then oh well. Then oh well. So that's what Jesus is talking about to this guy. He says, listen, foxes, you know, they, they have holes and they got dens, but like, I got nothing. This might be the life. I might give you everything and then I just, it might just all go away. Like, this might be the life that might happen. Are you in for that? Because at the end, you just might be left with just me. You might just be left with just Jesus. That's it. And so I was just telling this guy, I like your eagerness. Come on with me, but 
you might just be left with Jesus Christ and is that enough? Because sometimes they'll just leave you just that. And then that's when the rubber hits the road. And that's when like we get confused and messed up. Oh my God, you know what? Where'd the money go? Like where did the job go? Where did where did the comfort level go? Do you even love me? Are you even out there? This stuff is gone. I don't know. Maybe he's doing refining work. I have no idea. But at some point, we're going to be at the place where is he alone just enough? And that's why I think it's so difficult and so hard in America and in the Western world, particularly the Northeast, is because, you know, around us there's just a lot of money. And for most people, just Jesus, like it never gets to that place. They always have other things and other comforts and, you know, nice houses, nice cars, nice boats. And I'm not saying any of these things are bad, but I'm just saying they could be distracted and thinking things are a lot better than what they are. They're never just faced with just Jesus. So at the end here, to close here, just a couple of questions. Which I think we have it right up here on the next slide too. When was the last time that your faith in Christ really cost you something? If you had to think about it. If you had to be like, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I totally would not have done that. Or I wouldn't have been in that place. Or it's just like, I don't know, I wouldn't have responded in that way if I wasn't a Christian because it cost you something. And it might have been your reputation. Uh, it might have been some money. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it might have been. And like, don't make it seem bigger you know, than what it was you know, to make yourself feel good because maybe it hasn't happened in a while. I don't know. Maybe not ever. I have no idea. But if we're truly disciples and we want to say that we are, we should at least be able to reference back sometime not that long ago and say, man, I remember that time in my life. That cost me. That was difficult. And we just did it because we felt like God wanted us to do it. I don't know. But we should be able to reference back to that. And if we can't, we really got to think about it. Or the next question, are there any parts of my life where I'm holding back from Christ? Is there just parts of the life that are just kind of off limits to God? Or just that aren't totally surrendered? Like I'll kind of give him most of these areas. But as far as over here, I just don't feel like getting into it. I just really don't. I mean, that's, you know, that's just the way a lot of us are. So the question is like, are we doing that? You know, are we really counting the cost? Because that's what disciples do. It's just all areas, everything is completely laid out there for whatever God wants to do. Because what we believe is we believe that at the end of the day this is true and that what this says is everything that we do is to bring glory to Him. And He'll take care of us in the end. Because it says if we just commit our ways and desires to Him, He'll give us the desires of our heart. That's what it says. So then one, uh, I think there's one side after this with uh, two other questions. Uh, maybe it was the one before. We closed up uh, last, a couple weeks ago. Talked about the narrow road and the wide road. Remember that? Before we talked about that? So on the, if we're on the narrow road, right? And Jesus said there's a wide road, there's a narrow road. Right? If you're on the narrow road, that means that you have professed Christ. That's what we're saying. Because remember Christ said, you know what? Hey, listen, there's a wide road, wide gate, leads to destruction. A lot of people are going down it. They don't think they are, but they are. And just, just a, full, a few amount of people that are just on that narrow road, small gate, trying to live by my way. It's only a few. 
And so we said, this is a slide from that week, if we're on the narrow road, that means that we have professed Christ as Lord of our lives. Not that we're perfect, but we said, God, I want you at the center of my life. I want you there. At some point in our, in our lives, we've said that. And that's what putting us on the narrow road is. And then we've tried to kind of live it out the best that we could. So the question is, did it cost us? Did it cost you anything? Has it cost anything? Right? Are we trying to trust and follow Jesus and stay on the broad road? Are we willing to keep worldliness and sin? Like, are we willing to have our own selves, our own ambitions and desires and just sprinkle in like a little bit of Jesus in there? Or is it actually at the central mark? So I wonder, I don't know what this guy did or how he responded, you know, with his eagerness. You know, and Jesus told him, hey, listen, I got no place to go. I got nothing going on. And then I wonder if, like, I don't know. I think if I really wanted to make the guy think, I would tell the guy, hey, listen, you know, you have floggings awaiting you. You have possible death awaiting you. Um, I don't know what might happen to your family, you know, but all this stuff might be in store if you come for What a sales pitch that would be, right? And then, you know, would he really still be willing to do it? I don't know. But we know, and we can see what has happened uh, a lot of times, you know, with some of God's faithful followers. Not ideal, comfortable situations, for sure. And then, you know, we can see them, you know, online. People are living in it right now. You know, so would we say that God isn't blessing them and He's not looking over them? I don't think so. I think, actually, maybe on the other hand, they might know more about God and more about Christ in a personal way than maybe I still have yet to learn in like 10 years. I don't know. Well, I have, you know, a nicer house and I'm more comfortable and I got a better... I don't know. How important really is it? I don't know. I don't think very important. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take communion. And uh, again, you really only want to take communion if you would say that you're a disciple. I mean, if you're not, that's okay. I would say count the cost, like Jesus did, you know, count the cost. Um, and then I would just let it go. But if you say that you're a disciple, um, I would certainly take it, and that's why we, we do communion. Um, we're going to play a song. I'll pass out the elements. Just hold on to them, and then we'll take it together.